Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with the perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients, including Atlas Quantum and Securitize, Clarity can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business. Please visit clarity.pr to learn more. My guest today is Demian Brunner, co-founder and CEO of Zeppelin. Welcome, Demian. Hi, Laura. Good to be here. What's been on your mind this week? You mentioned earlier something about this dilemma that you're seeing in conversations with investors where they're debating between blockchain immutability and upgradability. What does that mean? Yeah. So as you might know, blockchains have this promise of being immutable, where the reason why blockchains are immutable is to eliminate counterparty risk from a transaction. So that means one of the parties being able to take advantage over the other and modifying the rules of an agreement without their consent. So, however, like if both many parties decide and agree to change rules, they should also have the tools to do it without all the complications and hassle involved in upgrading or redeploying new instances of smart contracts or performing hard forks. So there's this dilemma where should blockchains be immutable forever or should blockchains and also smart contract applications on top be upgradable over time, uh, which I actually think is not a dilemma per se. Because if you if you think about it, you know, in legal traditional legal agreements, you no, know, let's forget about crypto, there's always a clause in the agreement that states how that agreement can be modified or cancelled with the consent of all parties involved or some sort of governance mechanism that's defined within the agreement if there are more than two parties. So in the end, what we're seeing today is either hard you know, projects doing hard forks of a particular blockchain being Bitcoin Cash or others or Ethereum Classic, or also projects that are building ERC-20 smart contract applications on top. They are, you know, performing upgrades and redeploying these smart contracts and these ERC-20 tokens over time, which is a very costly and inefficient transaction and operation. So that's that's already happening, but it's not very easy to do. So in the end, immutability in, in blockchain should not be desired, assuming the mechanisms for governing changes to a smart contract or a blockchain platform work well, which I think 
should should happen. So in the end, like to summarize the idea here, uh, there's no dilemma assuming there's good upgradability solutions and good governance solutions to perform those upgradability challenges. And by that, you mean if they're upgradable, then token holders don't have to do anything in particular in order to keep their tokens during such an upgrade or, or change in the blockchain or the smart contract? Exactly. So let's say, uh, you know, Ethereum decentralized application project wants to upgrade the code smart contract because they found a bug or they want to add some new functionality. They need to know, kill that smart contract, redeploy a new instance, coordinate with wallets, coordinate with exchanges, and coordinate with token holders for all of them to upgrade or kind of change the code to the new version of the smart contract. And that's a big hassle. So upgradability should be relatively simple. There should be you know, layers or uh, infrastructure layers that make all these operations simpler and more cheaper and more efficient. But again, you don't want you want to protect token holders uh, from, you know, let's say, project owners or others from taking advantage of that situation that they can change the, co- the code uh, as they want. So that's so- that is solved with good governance mechanisms. And when you say that infrastructure layers would be needed to make that possible, what would those infrastructure layers be? That's actually one of the things we're working on with one of our projects called Zeppelin OS, which is a developer platform for building smart contract applications. And you know, everything here is done on software and software per se has bugs and should be amended or fixed or added new functionalities over time. So I guess platforms like ours can make software development processes in the same way other happens in other industries besides crypto or blockchains to facilitate the development of smart contract applications without developers having to understand and be experts in all the underlying things and infrastructure topics that are very complicated. But those layers haven't been developed like you guys are currently figuring out what they should be? Exactly. Yeah, we're, uh, I guess the whole space is very early and new with respect to software development and upgradability per se. And I think we're taking the lead here by building this first application to solve it. And just to go back to make sure that I understand this point also, are you saying that there could be a way to upgrade without actually performing a hard fork as well? So that depends on the platform. With like this platform later I was talking about. On our case specifically, we're working on top of blockchains for performing upgrades on smart contracts. So, you know, the upgradeability features there would not be related to a hard fork of a of a blockchain per se, but of uh, redeploying a new instance of a smart contract. I'm not aware of anyone who's working on a, let's say, a platform solution to simplify the operations involved in a hard fork, but maybe someone, I know if it makes sense also, but someone could do it, I guess. Yeah, it's it does sound like what you're talking about would someday prevent projects from having to do that thing where they 
get the word out and say, hey, if you want your coins on such and such, then you need to do this. Or if you don't want that to happen, then you need to move your wallet, you know, coins from this exchange to your wallet or whatever. Like, it just feels like right now that is all such a mess. Um, But if it could sort of happen seamlessly in the background, that might be a better way to go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's a mess. (laughs) Before the show, you also mentioned that airdrops are another trend that you're seeing and that you think those are emerging as an alternative to ICOs. Why do you think people are turning to airdrops? Yeah. So the reason, I guess there were two reasons why projects are doing ICOs or were doing ICOs. First one is to raise capital for funding the development of a project, but also it's a good way to distribute tokens to the community and have a community on board and have skin in the game on the projects for the project to succeed. However, there's been a lot of legal complications related to selling tokens to retail investors. And you know, that depends, of course, a lot on the jurisdiction of the participants and the amounts that you're selling. But overall, there are a lot of there's a lot of legal uncertainty around what happens when you do an ICO. So airdrops became a kind of like an alternative to ICOs where you, know, you can serve or you can achieve the same goal of distributing tokens to a community of people and have them be on board. And, and you know, they want, since they will be token holders, they want the approach to succeed. But instead of selling these tokens, you are giving them away for free. So the legal risk or legal liability should be lower. Yeah. I wonder though, if people will be as motivated to help that project succeed, if they're just given the tokens, what do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So psychologically, whenever someone spends money on something or buys something, they are more, let's say incentive or motivated to have that, asset either increase price or have the project to succeed in some way compared to if you give away something for free. I don't know exactly what the, I would say, percentages or engagement or participation of of airdrops have been lately, but I assume, you know, the people holding, and and personally, my experience, you know, holding tokens that I receive for free, at least you know, unconsciously and, and psychologically are worth a little bit less than tokens that I actively bought because I really believed in the project. Yeah. And just to go back, I'm sure that there are still issues that ICO, or sorry, not ICO, uh, that airdrop issuers would need to deal with when it comes to regulations. So what would those be? Are there certain jurisdictions where they shouldn't, where they would, you know, want to avoid those token holders? Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, both ICOs, airdrop, the whole space from a legal standpoint is very uncertain. So, you know, we've seen Definity doing an, an airdrop and blocking US people from it. And But why is that? Because if you're just giving it to them, I, I, I don't know if I understand, you know, they're not putting their money in. So why is that a problem? Yeah, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the specifics about it, but... I think if a token is considered a security, you know, giving away tokens for free can, or giving away securities for free to people could also uh, have some legal liabilities. 
Yeah, possibly. So we're going to keep talking about the different smart contract platforms now that you've mentioned Definity in a moment. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients like Atlas Quantum, CoinMint, Securitize, Smart Valor, and Verbex, Clarity PR can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business in the noisy blockchain and crypto space. Named as one of the fastest-growing agencies in PR Week's Top 150, Clarity is well-versed in providing guidance to a wide range of companies looking to build their reputation and deliver high-profile media relations campaigns across mainstream business outlets as well as major tech and vertical trade outlets. To learn more and see a list of services, visit clarity.pr. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. I'm speaking with Demian Brenner, co-founder and CEO of Zeppelin. So since you did mention Definity and how, uh, you know, that's one of the smart contract platforms that's going to be launching this week, we also saw the launch of the Tezos beta net. And between those two, plus the recent launch of EOS, there's kind of like a real smart contract platform race on against Ethereum, which is the leader here. It has the first mover advantage. What do you, what factors do you think will determine which of these come out on top? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And you know, first I would say it's great to see other projects uh, either launching betas or going to mainnet. That's that's exciting. And besides that, you know, all these new projects they try to rival Ethereum and become kind of the standard smart contract platform with some added or differential feature from Ethereum. Either it scales better, either it has some uh, like definity or either it has some uh, different governance structures like Tezos. And that's great. You know, Ethereum is also kind of like dealing with scalability problems. It has a lot of initiatives that are trying to solve scalability, which is the main, one of the biggest concerns. However, what Ethereum has that no other project has today, or at least no other blockchain project has today, is a rich developer community building applications on top. And you no know, network effects there are very high and it's uh, and I think Ethereum leads on that front. And if Definity, Tesos, EOS or any other blockchain platform wants to become the standard layer where all the developers need to build on top, they need to position and they need to like kind of like have all the Ethereum community migrate to themselves or at least to their platform. Uh, and that's very hard, you know, it's very hard to to change the minds of people and convince them to move to another community. One way to do that is uh, to facilitate the, I guess, the development of, of applications on top of, of your platform compared to Ethereum. And that could be done by in two different ways. One, by 
being compatible with Ethereum. So, you know, the same things that you're already doing for Ethereum, the same Solidity smart contracts that you're developing could be also deployed and used on their own platform. Like, for example, I don't know, Definity, I think, is, is working on eWASM, but there are some other blockchains that they have, they, they share the Ethereum virtual machine. So basically... And define, the, define that, eWASM? Yeah, so basically, it was, in the same way, the Ethereum virtual machine is the EVM, eWASM. Actually, it's WASM because eWASM, it's like Ethereum WASM. It's another oh, okay. sort of... <laughs> yeah, it's another sort of, of virtual machine where... No, ideally, developers will be able to write smart contracts and applications on multiple languages. Yeah, I think of it as sort of like this square space of programming, right? Like you would write in this language and then it makes it possible to be interpreted on multiple different platforms. Is that exactly. a good way of yeah. thinking about it? Exactly. Okay, so keep going. Yeah, um, and again, like I, I was, I was talking about strategies Again, going back to my point, leveraging the developer community from Ethereum to start building on these new blockchains will be hard. And I think that will be a key differentiator between, you know, who takes the leading position as a smart contract platform and strategies to do that is to become compatible. So everything that's already runs on Ethereum could run on top of your own blockchain or building libraries or tools that simplify the lives of smart contract developers because today the I would say developer experience or the, the experience of developing smart contract application is very bad. So if you can solve that problem, many you get the lab from the developer community to start building on top of your own blockchain. That's what you're doing with Zeppelin OS, right? Creating libraries. Are you only doing that for Ethereum? Yeah, that's what we're doing. We started with Ethereum because that's, again, the most popular blockchain platform out there. And I would say more than 90% of decentralized applications are built on top of Ethereum. But we're platform agnostic also. So any blockchain that has the Ethereum virtual machine can automatically run either Zeppelin OS or also Open Zeppelin, which is another one of our projects that also offers standard libraries of smart contract code for building decentralized applications. Uh, but we also, you know, in our vision, we see Zeppelin OS as uh, kind of like multi-chain where in the same way in the 90s, you had different PC manufacturers and then came Windows and Linux as the leading operating systems where they concentrated, they connected to different dis- different PC manufacturers and they had developer mindshare and also enterprise mindshare. And they were like this concentration points to that simplify the lives of both sides of the of the table. Um, we see Zeppelin OS as on one side having the developer mindshare of developers today and also in the future on the other connecting to all these underlying blockchains so that if you're a developer you don't have, you don't need to care about which underlying blockchain is running your application as long as it's secure and which like consensus mechanism is working, which is very technical stuff. You just want to care about your application being secure. You know, you have good tools to develop it. And also it's interoperable with other applications that other people are building. And for people who are not developers, just so I 
make sure that they really understand what the significance of this is. What is it like developing now on these smart contract platforms and how would that be different if they could tap into these libraries? Wow, it's that no developing smart contracts today it's hard. There there are four main problems today with smart contract development. The first one is that it's very hard to build secure smart contract applications. And we saw that with you know recent hacks like the DAO hack, the Parity wallet hack, you know, over you know two hundred, three hundred million dollars were stolen from from hacks in, in smart contract applications. The second one is the developer experience. You know, there if you if you're trying to build smart contracts compared to you know, developing in any other language or any other platform outside of blockchains, it sucks. It's very bad. There are no tools. There are no, no good libraries. It's, it's a very bad experience. So that's also developers are prone to making mistakes because of the lack of tools in the ecosystem. The third one is upgradability. What we were saying, we're talking in the beginning of the conversation. So basically any software application needs to be upgraded or improved or bugs need to be fixed over time. And there are no easy ways to do that. You need to dive deep into the, you know, technical infrastructure and be an expert on blockchains and interacting with the smart contracts to do it. It's and coordinating with the whole space, which is a mess. And finally is interoperability. What I was talking about when, you know, if you're trying to do an application, you want to, you want the application to connect to other related applications and are related smart contracts and that's usually done via you know apis or, or some something similar to that but interoperability today between these smart contracts is is a is a problem that's not yet solved everyone's building on their own way and there there are no clear standards i i would say besides open zeppelin today which is the most popular smart contract uh, development framework out there yeah, well, hopefully we'll see a lot of this uh, get produced and um, smart contracts become a lot safer. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Laura. I had a good time. It's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.